0: Listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message We are one church. And we have a Granada location and we have a Burbank location as well. Uh, and so it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we, we are continuing to celebrate the Advent season uh, where Christmas is drawing near, where we're coming close to, to the time uh, where we get to celebrate. And I, and I think a lot of times we hear this word Advent and, and, we, and we just assume it to be around the Christmas season. But I want to give a little quick like what is Advent because sometimes we don't understand what that is. Uh, Advent is actually a Latin word, rooted from a Latin word that uh, called adventus. That's where it's coming from. And it actually means coming in the Greek, the coming. So it's, it's kind of the idea of like a longing and a waiting for a significant coming. Like something is coming. There's something brewing. All right There's a counting down of days, an anticipation uh, for something important. Something like, I don't know if you, you know, if, you, if your birthday is coming up in a few weeks, you're kind of like thinking about the days to come. Like, oh, it's almost here, it's almost here. You're counting down the days. Or I remember when I was a little boy, uh, when we knew that we were going to Disneyland next week, like, or in a month, like, we would, I would like, All right. Six more days left. Then the next day, five more days left and three hours and twenty-six seconds, right? Like I would count down the moments and the days and and the moments of of that time where we're gonna celebrate whatever's coming. Uh, and Christmas was a big one too. Uh, I don't know what you guys do in preparation, but uh, there's, there's something that we have at our house where we have an Advent calendar where every day uh, our girls just change the calendar over a day uh, to just anticipate every single moment and every single day up until the 25th. Um, I remember in first grade, it's crazy how, how, how much I remember this. We used to make, we made these paper chains in class. I don't know if you guys remember this. These paper chains for Christmas of 25 links together, and then we hooked it up, and uh, every single day, starting on the first of December, we would rip one off uh, every single day until the day came, Christmas morning came, and it was this exciting thing. And today, they have this thing called Elf on the Shelf. How I many you guys know what Elf on the Shelf is? Oh, my goodness. My kids aren't here, right? I can't say. Okay. So, yeah. I won't go into all of it, but every day for Elf on the Shelf, starting on the first, you do something with these little elves, um, and the kids love it. They wake up every morning morning wondering where are the elves today and it's like is this anticipation until uh, Christmas day and then they leave. They go back to uh, the North Pole but uh, it's just this a fun little Advent thing and it's always around this idea of just preparation for something's coming. There's an anticipation, there's a, there's a joy, there's, there's this something dwelling and longing in our hearts for someone or something that's coming and obviously so us as the church, as God's church. We advent, the coming, we anticipate and celebrate the coming of Jesus, the the moment where, where God in the flesh, God's only begotten son, Emmanuel, God with us, has come and we anticipate the moments and the days to come and not only is it celebrating that he has come on earth but we also are adventing we're we're remembering we're anticipating the coming his second coming his return back to earth so that we can rejoice in the fact that he's restoring all things back perfectly and fully once again and we can rejoice in that together as a people. So we're continuing a series in the Advent season uh, and today we're going to be talking about Christmas past. Do we have that? We have the past. Can you go back to the other one? That are coming up? (laughs) Boom. No, okay. It's okay. No worries. But there's the past, the present. Is it there? No. (laughs) What's the next one? The promise, the promise and the perfect gift, all right? That's, that's what's coming as we anticipate the Advent season. And today we're going to talk about Christmas past, the Christmas past. So let me pray for us, um, and then we'll jump into it. God, we thank you for this season, this joyful time where we get to celebrate, anticipate, remember, uh, look forward to uh, just joy in you and what you've done and who you are and that and you've come in the flesh. What a joy it is to be together this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the anticipated advent, the coming, and hope, it all started in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, from the get-go. Last week, Waz shared a little bit about that, about the prequel, about what's coming, that, that, that the, the, the fall was really the beginning of what was to come. When, when things didn't go as planned, when, when sin came into the world, God began the plan to restore all things back. God began the plan from the beginning. Genesis 3:15, right? It says he, the promised one, the promised seed that comes from Adam and Eve will be the redeemer that will strike the serpent's heel. So it's this, this prequel, this, this remembrance of like, hey, something's coming. Something's coming to restore all things back. And then we see it continued in Genesis twelve three, where God tells Abram that he's going to promise that his lineage is going to be blessed. There's going to be a blessed lineage coming from his line. And there's this, this redeemer that's coming. And ever since then, God's people have been anticipating and waiting for this he, or for this redeemer, or for this redeemed, promised lineage of God's people. See, ultimately, the story of the Bible is the journey of advent. It's the journey of a coming. Is this anticipation of, of one big advent story. The redeemer is coming. Everything will be restored again. Everything will be restored again. Stories and predictions of this anticipated coming were very common, they were very common in scripture. This is what we understand as what we call prophecy. What we call prophecy. This, this word that came from prophets that, hey, something is coming. There is a promise that's near. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, these prophecies were made. This is a significant understanding for believers. So if you're a believer and and you believe in Jesus, this is so vital to our faith, this understanding of the prophecies that came before Jesus. Jesus because it signifies, it signifies the miraculous evidence and significance of why we believe in Jesus as the Messiah. I don't know if you guys know this, but I just read an article a couple weeks ago that the Israeli rabbis today, the high rabbis today, have declared that they found their Messiah. Today, like the physical Messiah. He's walking around in Israel. And they're saying, this is the messiah we've been waiting for. They they believe that this messiah is is this guy that just came um, and just is wandering around today. And the reality is, is throughout scripture, Jesus even says, be careful. There's gonna be many false messiahs, many false that claim to be the messiah. But the reality is, is this man that they claim to be the Messiah is not going to go on the cross and die for the sins of humanity. He's not going to resurrect from the dead. He's not going to be alive again and go up to the right hand of the Father. This is what was prophesied many years before Jesus' birth. This is a huge deal for us as believers to understand and grasp the importance. Sometimes it's hard for us to really grasp it or really dive into this prophecy or the, the books of the prophets because the reality is it's it's a really dense reading in Scripture, the Old Testament and and the books, uh, the fifteen books, the, the, the main prophet, the major prophets and the minor prophets. There's fifteen of them, uh, and it's it's hard. It's hard to walk through because the the writings and the and the poetry is very dense and the and the imagery that they give is very confusing if you don't understand it in its context, um, and so. It's very common for us as believers to not really understand the significance of what it is. So biblical prophet, prophets, I hope I can give a little quick snapshot that can give us some little more palatable understanding of how important this is. The biblical prophets, sometimes we think of the word prophet, we think that they're fortune tellers. That's their role. They're fortune tellers. And that makes sense because in a lot of cultures, that's a common word used for a fortune teller, prophet. But the biblical understanding of a prophet isn't a fortune teller. However, they do sometimes speak of the fortunes that are coming in the future for God's people. But that's not their main role. That wasn't their their exact purpose. Prophets, they were actually Israelites who had a radical encounter with God. Like God met them where they were. And, And God commissioned them. He told them, hey, on behalf of me, you are going to speak my words. That's what a prophet is, is that of someone that's like an ambassador or a representative of that time, the office of a prophet, is someone that was speaking for God. So we are looking now at the prophet of Isaiah. We just read the prophet of Isaiah, chapter nine. This was 700 years. This was written and and, and Isaiah was in the times in Jerusalem 700 years before Jesus was even born. 700 years. So I wanna give a quick snapshot context of this time and then we'll dive into the passage again. Isaiah here, he's in Jerusalem and Israel, the people of Israel are living in darkness. They're disobeying God, they're living in idolatry, they're worshiping idols, they're worshiping other things that is not God, and they're oppressing the poor. This is what's happening. And Isaiah is now addressing them in in his writings, in his book. God speaks through Isaiah. He's warning them that they will be taken into captivity from the great nations of that time, which was Assyria and Babylon. He's telling them, be careful, because this is coming, and that they needed to repent, or else this was going to happen to them. This is what's happening. So they didn't really, you know, people at that time didn't really like the prophets, because they were telling it like it was. They didn't like the prophets, and they didn't even sometimes listen to the prophets, until, until what they said actually came to pass and they're like, oh, wait a minute, we should listen. And also, not only were they saying these things were coming, these are warnings and these were hard things to hear, but at the same time, Isaiah was pronouncing hope. He was pronouncing that God is going to fulfill all his covenant promises that he said he would starting in Genesis 3. He said, this is coming. This is a reminder to the Israelites that the Redeemer, that the Messiah is coming. Okay, so that's kind of a little bit of the context of what we're reading. I want to read again in Isaiah 9, 1 through 7 that Jonathan read for us. And now maybe you'll listen to it or read it with me with a little bit of a different perspective now that you have some context of what was going on at the time uh, when he said this to the people of Israel. Starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of the east of the Jordan and and Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness." You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at the harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over, this, over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This was 700 years before Jesus was even born. So these people are like, what is he talking about? But also they're like, okay, this is possible, but, but I don't know if I should believe him or not. So this is another repetitive, like for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Mighty God? Like, who is this person? You can imagine being in their shoes, right? Things are hard, Uh, we're not obeying this this guy, we're not obeying God, we're doing our own thing, and this guy is proclaiming that this this God, this Prince of Peace, this Wonderful Counselor is going to come. What is he talking about? And for us today, I want to give the big idea for today's sermon. The big idea is this, and this is, what, this is what Isaiah was telling them. He said that God in the flesh is the promised plan for restoration. God in the flesh is the promised plan for restoration. This is what he's declaring here. This is what he's declaring to us. It wasn't fulfilled yet at that time but this is what he's prophesying, this is what he's declaring to them right a a chapter, two chapters before this Isaiah said this, he said therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign he's talking to the Israelites again see the virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel another foretelling Emmanuel meaning God with us, God with us. And then 700 years later, John in the New Testament, New Covenant, John chapter one, one through two says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the the fulfillment of the prophecy that he will come. He will come and be among us. That God was from the beginning. Jesus that came in the flesh is a representation, is the deity, is the God of all creation coming in the flesh. God with us. This is the promised plan for restoration. My question is this, how does this promised plan of restoration happen? This is great. This is awesome. This sounds cool. 700 years before he came, it was prophesied. But what does it look like? How does this happen? There's these three ways I want to give us today. These three ways. The first one is that God in the flesh enters our darkness. God in the flesh enters our darkness. You see, everyone, he needed to come in the flesh in order for restoration to be possible. He needed to come in the flesh, even if that meant coming into our darkness. Even if that meant coming into sin, he had to come for restoration to be possible, What I love about uh, the book of Hebrews, he talks about this a little bit, uh, chapter four, 14 through 16, that, that this God, this creator coming in the flesh, what does that mean? What does that look like? This is a beautiful picture. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's come from the heavens to earth, Jesus, the son of God, right there, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, with our darkness, another word, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. You see, we see Israel's darkness in this time of Isaiah, right? We see that in the midst of the rebellion, in the midst of the, of the idol worship that the people of Israel were walking in, in the midst of their unbelief, none of it intimidated God. None of it stopped God in his tracks and said, okay, I'm going to just scratch my plans. I'm just going to turn it all back and just start all over and just forget about it. I don't need anybody anymore. It didn't stop God from his plan of restoration, his plans for his people. But God remained faithful through it. He remained faithful. Even when the Israelites were clearly unfaithful, he predicted and promised his coming in the flesh. You see, just like the Israelites, God enters our darkness our personal dark spaces here today and now. Even if it looks a little different, still there's a lot of similarities in what's happening here. In the midst of our rebellion, that we've rebelled, that we continue to rebel at times where we choose habits and disciplines that, that push God away, that push his plans away, that push his heart and faithfulness to us away, that our idol worship, Things, things like, I don't know, like habits and, 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 and coping mechanisms that, that we tend to turn to more so than we turn to God. Things like substance abuse, sports, I could be guilty of sometimes, video games, porn, work, toxic relationships that tend to always be something we want to go to as opposed to rather turning to God or our unbelief. There's times we, we just forget. We forget that God's good. God's got promises and he's gracious and he's lovely and he's merciful that we don't believe his kind love and forgiveness enough that, that turning to him is the last thing on our list when we truly need him. And we're all guilty of this at times. That we're not much different than the Israelites. But even so, even in the midst of that, of our darkness, Jesus, God in the flesh enters our darkness. He comes in with us and he's faithful to forgive. He's faithful to be with us, to show us his kind mercy and his grace. He's faithful to be in the midst of the darkness. He, he can represent, he can, be, he can be with us remembering and knowing that he was once tempted, that he can relate, but he went without sin. What a joy that is. He shows us his kind mercy and grace so that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. What Hebrews said, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness, that he understands us, that he's been there, that he knows us well so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need that we don't have a god who's who's like stiff arming us or or saying ah oh, you're not good enough like oh, don't you, you can't come close to me because i'm too good for you no he says i'm coming to your darkness i've come in the midst of your junk and i'm here with you and i can understand where you're at i can be with you in the midst of it you see guys we live in the times of god's fulfilled plan we live in the times of God's fulfilled plan. That 700 years before Jesus was even born, the people of Israel were scratching and clawing and trying to find the answers and saying, God, where are you, speak to us. And then this was, this was prophesied. And now we live in the times where we can say, this has been fulfilled. That God in the flesh has come and that we can just gain the benefits of who God is and what he's done for us for those who believe. The redeemed plant has come. We are the redeemed for those who believe. What joy is that? You see, not only though does, does God meet us in our darkest places, not only does he come in the flesh in the darkness, there's also a second way. God in the flesh meets our physical need. God in the flesh meets our physical need as well. Isaiah nine, three and four, we just read it, All right? This is, this is him prophesying, but this happens, this comes to pass. You have enlarged the nations and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, which is always the greatest time of year, harvest time. And as they rejoice, they are dividing the spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. He's saying, be careful, there's going to be the the time where you get oppressed by the by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but be of good heart, be of good cheer. There's gonna be a time where I redeem you from that, where I provide all that you need. Well I take you from that. Well I'll put you on the top of a hill and say, you will experience my blessings. I will bring them to you. Israel's physical needs get met. God's promise to Israel was a freedom from exile, rejoicing as much as the day of harvest, which is the day where where all the goodness and the blessings from the land come. That the oppressive yokes of exile and slavery will be broken. He's promising them this. That the oppressors who would be defeated will be gone, and Israel will be freed, a free people enjoying the blessings of God. You guys, not only is that true for Israel, that's true for us. That our physical needs are met. Paul says it well in Philippians 4.19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, just like God's desire for Israel to provide their needs, he desires to provide our needs as well. He desires to meet our needs, but don't be fooled by this understanding and this rubbish understanding of prosperity gospel. It's not this way where where nothing bad will happen to you ever or that you'll have everything you ever want if you just go get it or that nothing will go bad. That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying, but just as an earthly father gives good gifts, how much greater... Will that of the heavenly, eternal Father give good gifts to his child? How much more would he give good gifts to you? That he desires to provide your needs, even when it's hard to understand what's going on at the moment. Even if it's hard to understand everything, he desires and promises to take care of us and take care of us well. See, but the reality is, as much as he meets our physical needs, the third and most important way that he restores all of humanity is this one. Number three, God in the flesh resolves our spiritual need. God in the flesh resolves our spiritual need. Right? We read in, in six and seven, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice, righteousness, from now on, and what? Forever. For eternity. For all time. Because of God's fulfilled plan, by coming in the flesh, all of humanity's spiritual needs are met. It's by grace, through faith, in Jesus, and in Jesus alone. What a joy that is. That every spiritual need is met through Christ. That the suffering servant... The suffering servant in the flesh who had to pay the price for our darkness. Isaiah continues to prophesy throughout his book, right? We look and continue on through chapters. In Isaiah 53, he continues to talk about who this person is, who this promise is, who this redeemer is. He continues to foretell what is the Messiah, who is the Messiah, what he's going to do. Isaiah 53, three through six, he says this. We know this now and we think like, oh yeah, of course. But like, these people didn't have any idea what he was talking about. Isaiah 53, three through six says this, he says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed now by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him For the iniquity of us all. Verse 12. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as a spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels, us. This was the great proclamation, the foretelling of Jesus' coming, where he will then die for our sins. He will be pierced in his hands once and for all so that we can have nearness and intimacy with God, that him in the flesh coming is essential for our spiritual needs. He had to come, and he has come, and we get to rejoice and celebrate that together as a people. That the biggest need in all of history is the restoration of our souls. Our souls. The bearing of our sins that he bore and he took on the cross. That was foretold and prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before even Jesus came to earth. You see, even if we prosper on this earth, even if we have all the material things, even if we have all the houses, the cars, the vacations, you know, which is not bad. But even so, we are still in need. There's a huge gap still missing. Our souls are in deep, deep need. It's like a depth of need. It's like, it's like a longing and a, and a desire. It's almost that, that desire and longing as we anticipate the coming of Jesus for Advent. It's like those moments, I don't know if you've had them before, those moments alone at night when you're laying in bed and and you're in your thoughts and you're thinking, man, I I just feel lonely. I feel like there's something missing. What's what's there? There's there's a need that I have. There's there's a need for my soul to be loved and cared for and, and I need a hope to lean on. I need someone to save me from the depths of my own despair. Our soul is in need. And Jesus, God in the flesh, according to the fulfilled prophecy 700 years prior to his birth, has fulfilled and filled our souls with his love, with his sacrifice, with him coming to the world into our darkness and saying, I'm here, I'm for you. Yet he himself bore our sickness And he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him. And we are healed now by his wounds that he took. We are healed, spiritually healed, spiritually healed by his wounds. He graciously heals us through his sacrifice. So we are now restored. We are made new again. We have peace in our soul because of the fulfilled promise of God. We get to believe. We get to. Like, this is not like an like a obligation. It's not something that's pushed on you. We get to believe in this truth, in this promise that God fulfilled. And that's why we come and gather. That's why we go and proclaim it to the nations. That's why we say, guys, listen. This is amazing news. Jesus has come and he is coming. Prepare, be prepared. This is why Jesus said, be prepared. The kingdom of God is near. That's why he continued to say that. There is a joy in that we get to experience it here and now. And also, once again, when he returns. The anticipated Advent coming is something that we celebrate today. Thousands, thousands of years of hope of this Messiah to come is now here. It's fulfilled, it has been fulfilled in Jesus. That God in the flesh is the promised plan for restoration. That we are now restored with one another, we are now restored with him, and that we can lean on him for it all. Not that it'll all be perfect now, but when he returns, guess what? It will be. I wanna close with this. Um, It's a cool little kind of devotional book for the Advent season called Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. And there's a section by Martin Lowe Jones who says this uh, in regards to fulfillment of this great season of Christmas. And then I'll close this in prayer. He says this. What God did when he sent his son into the world is an absolute guarantee that he will do everything he has ever promised to do. Look at it it, as if it's a personal sense that all things work together for good for those who love him. That's a promise. Or to them who are the called according to his purpose that is shared in Romans eight. But how can I know that this is true for me? Some might ask. The answer is the incarnation. That God has given the final proof that all his promises are sure. That he will, that he is faithful to everything he has ever said. So that promise is sure for you. Whatever your state or your condition might be, whatever may happen to you, he has said that I will never leave you or forsake you. And he will not. He has said so, and we have absolute proof that he fulfills his promises, that he does not always do it immediately or in the way that we want or think. No, no, but he does it, and he will do it, and he will never fail to keep his promises. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We are so amazed by your wondrous goodness, your coming son, your, your son Jesus who has come in the flesh. You, God, have come to be with us in our darkest places, in our darkness where you can understand us and, and you were tempted, Jesus, here on earth. You can understand where we're at, where we're coming from, Lord, and you said that I want to be near. You said that you want to be near to us. You proved that by your coming. You proved that by your prophecy of hundreds of years before you came and you came. You proved it to be that you don't lie to us. Even if it doesn't seem like it goes the way we want it to, it goes the way you do and it's always way better than the way we want it. God, we thank you that we can rejoice in this season of Advent, that we can rejoice in this season of Christmas, that we can look at the past, that we can look at the history of our faith and why we believe that you are the Messiah is because this is a miraculous thing that has happened throughout generations and generations that we can look back and say, wow, Lord, you continue to fulfill your promises till now. And that means that we can hold true that when you say that you're gonna come back, that you are coming back. And we can't wait, Lord. We can't wait. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we can rejoice and that we can be with one another as we worship you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.